Fest for joining us this morning, worshiping with us. You guys, we love you guys. Um, oh, excuse me. <laughs> it's awesome to be in the house of the Lord this morning. All right. Why don't we all stand before we begin? All right. I would like to call up my dear brother, Jose Riesco. He's going to come up and he's going to share a testimony of what God is doing in his life. So, yes, please give it up for Jose as he comes up to share. Amen. Hey, today's a day that the Lord has made. Let us be glad and rejoice in it. Amen. God made this day. Rejoice. Amen. You rather be at work? Man, I'd rather be here. Amen. <laughs> I like my work. I love my work, though. Yeah, this better. Um, but, man, I'm going to tell a quick testimony about what God did Thursday night at our gang ministry. What God has led us to do is reach out to gang members. Well, specifically gang members that we go into tough neighborhoods. We went out in Chicago and Cicero on Thursday night. Man, and God did things. I'm telling you, there's no way I would have known these things were going to happen. There's no way any of us would have known these things would happen. But God did miracles out there. I'm talking about drunk people uh, uh, throwing up and literally getting delivered. I'm talking about people who were, they couldn't even walk. Some dude couldn't even walk like this. He was hunchback, and he straightened up and started walking. People giving their lives to Jesus. People crying just hearing the word of God. Man, here's what God spoke to me when I prayed about this t testimony. What should I say, God? And he says, man, everyone here could do it. What, what Joe was sharing the last couple of months, that your faith that Peter had to walk on water is the same faith God has given you. But it's up to you whether you offer your body to Jesus Christ for service, not just lip service on Sunday, but to offer your body. He said offer your body as a sacrifice to him. That's every day. It's not just Sunday, man. That's, that's make-believe. It's every single day. Romans 12.1. Paul wrote, therefore, I urge you, he urges you, I urge you guys, urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, because of God's mercy, I urge you guys to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. That's your true and proper worship. That's your worship. You want to worship Jesus? Give him your body. Offer your body to him for service and for loving him and loving people. Amen. That's worship God. This, I mean, we're going to worship God when we're singing. That's worship God too. But true worship throughout the week, man, is giving your life to Jesus, giving your body over to him, not for sexual immorality and sin, but to be a slave of righteousness. Amen? Amen. I'm going to pray for you guys. God bless you guys. I love you guys. Amen? Let's go. Lord, I thank you for this service, God. I thank you that we get to meet in your house, God. And you said it's better as one day in your course. Or David wrote better as one day in your course than a thousand elsewhere. We'd rather be doorkeepers. We'd rather be servants in your house. Then dwell in the tents of the wicked. Thank you, God, for Sunday. Thank you, God, for every day that you made. God, bless the service, the worship, the word, the tithes and offering. Receive them, God, and let us worship you, not with just with our mouths and with songs, but with our lives and with our bodies. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll give a hand clap to praise Jesus' name. Hallelujah.
to move this morning. Come on, we're not in the club, we're in the church. Here we go, and if it goes to the left. And if it goes to the left, come on and move. And if it goes to the right, then we're going to the right. We're going to jump, 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 jump in the river. Jump, 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 everybody. If it goes to the left, then we're going to the left. And if it goes to the right, if it goes to the right, we're going to song so much because we're dancing in a river. Not many of us would think to do that, right? Because Chicago River, it's like no go. And that's not going to do that. But the river that flows from heaven, come on, there's a river flowing from heaven this morning and it's refreshing people. Come on. And that song is saying, we're going to dance in it. And when you dance in water, let me tell you something, you get splashed all over. I've tried it before. All right? Let me tell you something. God wants you from the river. God wants his river to just splash on you, to usually get drenched, to be refreshed this morning. Come on, anybody want that? I know I do. Come on, with hands lifted right now. Got deep cries out, deep cries out. Jesus, we cry out to you this morning. Just begin to lift your voice. Come on, he hears you now. Jesus, we're crying out. Oh, we're thankful for the river, the river from heaven. Let it flow in this place. Let it flow. Oh, when I Say again when I call.
no place I'd rather be. There's no place I'd rather be. There's no place I'd rather be than hearing your love, hearing your love. There's no place I'd rather be. Let's sing it out. your hand over your heart and sing this. Set a fire down in my soul. in his presence we belong in his presence we were made for this Thank you. 
we thank you for this great love, oh God. If you love Jesus this morning, lift up your hands all across this room. His love is real. His love is tangible. He is here. Just like Jose testified, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. There is no other place that we would rather be saints than in the presence of God, gathered together as brothers and sisters in the Lord. This great love that we get to experience is not broken. It is not selfish. It is not self-seeking. This great love that God has extended to us cannot be taken from us. It cannot be broken. It cannot be removed. And I just want to take this moment right now for you guys to go deep. His love goes down so deep to the depths of our heart. And he wants us to experience it, to live it, to allow it to exude from our life. So I want us to sing that one more time. This love, it can't be taken. And I want you to think of what God has done for you when he saved you. The Bible says he's taken us out of the miry clay. We stand on top of a rock. Our feet are firm on his foundation. We cannot be shaken. We have been cleansed. We have been redeemed. We have been sanctified by the power of the Holy Ghost. Come on. This love cannot be taken. No devil in hell can take it from you. No matter what valley you're walking through right now. today, Jesus, as you abide in us. We will abide in your presence. We will abide in who you are. We will abide in your word so that we can bear much fruit to prove that we are your disciples. We thank you for this great love, oh God, that you've lavished upon us. I pray, oh Lord, that we would continue to soak in it, to dance in the river of this love, to dance in this river of this power, oh God. We thank you for your grace-saving power. We thank you for your presence in this place today that is here to bring joy, that brings purpose, that brings salvation, that brings destiny, oh God. We love you. We love you. Come on, shout it out. Say, I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. We love you this morning, oh God. We love you this morning, Jesus. There is nobody like you. We love you. We love you. We bless your name. King of kings and Lord of lords. And everybody said amen. Come on, give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Woo! We serve a 
an awesome God. You may be seated at this time. I'm going to release the ushers to pass out the elements for communion. Praise the Lord. Aren't you guys excited that we get to be in the house of the Lord together every week in freedom and liberty to worship God together? Today's Communion Sunday. It's the first Sunday of the month. This is when we partake in the ordinance of communion. And the Bible says to do so in remembrance of him. I want to preach the gospel to you this morning. We do this every week because we want everybody to have an opportunity to get right with God. For everybody to have an opportunity to hear the gospel message, the good news that Jesus came to save you. That he died on the cross for your sins and for my sins. And there's nothing good that we can do in and of ourselves to save ourselves. It's only by the blood of Jesus. And this is the gospel message. And I want to read to you today from John chapter 4, verse 10. And this verse describes a moment in Jesus' life when he had a divine appointment with a woman at the well. Somebody say divine appointment. For some of you guys today, today is your divine appointment with Jesus. And this is what he said to her. After her conversation, her kind of going back and forth and trying to figure her life out and trying to figure him out and, you know, kind of making excuses, he said, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And I want to let you guys know today that Jesus is offering you living water, but instead of you taking it, realizing and understanding who it is that is giving it to you. You keep making excuses, trying to figure it out on your own. And I want to let you know today that you have a divine appointment with Jesus where you will either accept this living water or you will keep rejecting it for your own pleasure. November 3rd, 2000, I surrendered my life to God. I was 18 years old. I had the privilege of growing up in a Christian home. I grew up in the church. I walked away in my teenage years, and I had a divine appointment with Jesus that night. And he said, if you give me this relationship, I have all of this to give you. If you knew who I was and who it is that is asking you to give up this relationship, you would ask him, and he would give you an everlasting relationship. And many of you guys, there are things you need to give up today. To get right with God, there are things you need to let go of and say, God, I surrender. Give me this living water. With all eyes closed all across this room, if you are thirsty, if you are sick and tired of being sick and tired today, you are thirsty because the world has left you dry. Nothing in this life will satisfy except the presence of God in your life. This living water that he gives you when you drink of it, you'll never thirst again, my friends. So as I begin to pray, you know you have to get right with God. I want you to come into agreement with this prayer and surrender your life to the Lord before we partake of communion together. Jesus, we thank you for this moment. We thank you for this divine appointment. And we know who it is that is asking us to come to drink. And Lord, I pray that people in this room today, if they've been denying you, they've been rejecting you, they've been making excuses, putting it off to tomorrow, I pray they would feel, that they would feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit right now, drawing them and wooing them to you, oh God. That they would repent of their sins, turn from their evil ways, turn from their selfish ways, and turn and be healed and live for you, oh God. 
With man, it is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. So we thank you for making a way for salvation by dying on the cross, uh, being buried and raising again on the third day. So we celebrate, oh God, your resurrection. We thank you, Lord, that in you there is life and life eternal. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Please stand up to your feet with me this morning. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. He is so good. I want to encourage you. If you made that prayer, you know you want to make that commitment. During the fellowship time, we're going to have prayer workers up here at the front. They'll be ready to pray with you and encourage you to get plugged into the church and go after God with everything inside of you. Amen. Let's hold the wafer in our hand. We're going to pray for the elements. We're going to partake of, partake of them together as a family. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Lift up the wafer. God, we thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. His body that was beaten and bruised and whipped. The crown of thorn that was placed upon his head. You paid the ransom, Jesus. You paid the price we couldn't pay so that the chasm was filled. The separation between mankind and the Father was bridged again. You bridged the gap, oh God, and we thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice. We thank you for your body this morning. We remember you. Let's partake of the wafer. Thank you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. We thank you that you made a way for us, God. And we lift up this grape juice, O oh Lord, that represents your blood, your blood that washes us, that sanctifies us, that has redeemed our life. We thank you for your precious blood that was shed. It was only by the blood of the lamb that we are saved, by the blood of the lamb that we are cleansed and that we are healed. On that cross, you took our sicknesses, our sins, and our sorrows. And we say thank you, Jesus. We thank you this morning. Let's partake of the juice together. We praise your name, Lord. As the ushers take the leftover elements here, the band's going to lead us into a worship song. Let's turn our attention once again in worship and praise and singing to our Lord. You could close your eyes as they come, come around. Let's worship Jesus oh, again. Come, come on. To the altar, the Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, come to the altar, the Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus. Come on, sing again. Oh, come to the altar, the Father's arms are open wide, forgiveness was brought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ.
moment, Lord. We worship you. We love you. We give you all the praise and adoration and all the glory and all the power that is due your name. We thank you for your presence in this place. I pray that you would continue to lead us and move and have your way in the rest of this service. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. Praise the Lord one more time. Come on. Hallelujah. We're going to confess our confession of faith together. How many of you guys love that we get to declare that every week in one accord? We do this because this is our Christian worldview. This is the lens in which we see the world around us. So on the count of three, let's say it together. One, two, three. I believe in one God and creator who is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father who so loved the world. The Son who purchased my salvation in his death, burial, and resurrection. And the Holy Spirit who makes me new and abides in me forever. I believe in the perfect Holy Bible that reveals God's purposes and plans for my life. I believe in the second coming of Jesus who will judge the living and the dead. An eternal reward of believers in Jesus and the eternal punishment for all unbelievers in Jesus. I believe in the United Church of Jesus Christ, built upon apostles and prophets, elders and deacons, in which the gates of hell shall not prevail. I believe in the salvation for all mankind is by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, and for the glory of God alone. Amen. Spend some time fellowshipping. Shake somebody's hand. Give somebody a hug. Thank you for coming.
Give it up for Jesus. Who's excited to be at the 10 a.m. service? Make some noise. We want to welcome everyone to Metro Praise International this morning. Thank you for joining us. On behalf of all the pastors and the leaders, we are so grateful that you are here. And if it's your first time, we want to keep encouraging you to come on back and for everybody to invite their friends, families, your coworkers, your neighbors, so that everybody can hear about the love of Jesus. Amen. Our services here at MPI are every Sundays at 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. This is our family service. We have uh, King's Kids in the back for our children, infants to 11 years old. And then we have Elevate every Friday at 7 p.m. for students 11 to 18. God's doing awesome things in our high school students, and we're just really believing for a move of God in our high schools and our young people in Chicago. Who's with me on that one? They need to hear about the message of Jesus and Elevate and all the leaders there are doing an amazing job reaching them. So come on out if you're in that age group. Who's excited about the Puerto Rican Festival outreach? Come on. Two weeks away, June 18th at 9 a.m. That's a Saturday morning. We're going to meet here. We're going to get revved up. How many of you guys excited to get revved up that morning? Come on. And we're going to hit the streets preaching the gospel at Humble Park during the Boricua Fest outreach. So we want to keep encouraging you guys to um, make plans to come and attend. We will have child care here at the church, so if you have little children, you don't have to worry about finding a babysitter. Come and be a part of this, and in the meantime, keep, you know, start practicing now. Go to the life groups, join our evangelism teams, and preach the gospel beforehand, but we're so pumped about what God is doing, so let's encourage you with the video. Take a look at this video for this week, and we're just so ready to, to hit the streets together. Come on, give it up one more time. Say, get ready, get ready, get ready. Let's do it again. Get ready, get ready, get ready. Woo. So that's going to be the 18th on Saturday. Sunday the 19th, immediately following that day, it's going to be our Father's Day and Baptism Sunday. So we're going to have baptisms for all of our new believers, you know, committing their life to the Lord and a Father's Day steak dinner. You do not want to miss it. Invite the dads in your life to come on out and join us for both services, 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. It's going to be a powerful time of celebrating what God has done in people's lives and celebrating our fathers. So check that in your calendar. 
And then also for the month of July, we have Vacation Bible School. It's so exciting for our children. Come on, MPI 2016 Vacation Bible School every Wednesday in July from 6.30 to 8. It's part of our Wednesday evening program. So for that month, it's going to be a special evening time for them to get into the Word, continue to learn their Bible, their stories. We're going to have Bible lessons, crafts, worship games, prizes, snacks, a whole bunch of summer fun. So mark that in your calendars. If you haven't been consistent in coming already on Wednesday nights for our, our clubs, July is going to be all vacation Bible school. So invite your, your neighbors, maybe your, your children's friends from school. That's going to be an awesome time. And then we're also pumped up about our MPI summer retreat. That's also in July. Come on. Friday and Saturday, July 15 and 16, we're going to be going to Baraboo, Wisconsin at the Devil's Lake State Park. It's an awesome time to kind of get away from the busyness of the city, breathe in some fresh air. Everybody take a deep breath with me. When you're out there, it tastes much better. Okay, so fresh air. So mark your calendars for that weekend. Start taking off those days from work if you can. If you missed last year, you don't want to miss this year. So registration begins today, and the deadline is Sunday, July 3rd. If you are not registered by July 3rd, we will close registration. So there's two places that you can go. You could go to the MPI website and find the Eventzilla link to register, or you could go to the Facebook event page and click on the Eventzilla link there as well and register you and your family. For every individual that will share a room, it's going to be $50 per person. This only covers our lodging. So everybody's meals this year is going to be on your own between you, your friends, and your family on the ride there, on the ride back to the hotel. And then if you are a family or a couple that want your own room, it's going to be $150. So we're really excited about that. So start registering. Don't uh, go past the deadline. And we're really pumped about all the people that are going to be joining us this year. So you don't want to miss it. So July 15 and 16. Here at MPI, we have a vision. Somebody say vision. We have a vision, a strategy, and a goal. Our vision is loving God, loving people. Our strategy is to connect you, to mentor you, and to send you out. The way we connect you is through our life groups. So we really want you guys to find a life group to belong to. Then we want to mentor you through our 101 and 201 books where a leader is able to uh, get into your life and live uh, you know, live day-to-day with you, encourage you, pray for you, and then send you out to do evangelism. And then our goal is to have 100,000 disciples in Chicago with 50 churches and 500 around the world. How many of you guys get excited when you hear that every week? Come on. Look to neighbors. Say, get connected. This is how you could get connected this week. Here's a snapshot of what's happening. If you want to see the whole quarterly schedule, turn your handout around. You'll find the different types of life groups that we have to offer with times, dates, and locations. Kicking it off today, we have our singles, a group of singles, 18 to 35 years old. They're meeting here at the church at 4 p.m. These are men and women of God who love Jesus, who want to fellowship with you, who want to encourage you to live for God, and who love to spend time and have fun together. So meet them out here. If you're in that age group uh, at 4 o'clock, it's going to be an awesome time. Our single moms are also meeting today. Child care is provided, 530. That's the address. If you're a single mom, join them today. It's a powerful time. Tuesday, we have the Resistance Youth Life Group. Come on. 11 to 18 years old, 6 p.m. here at the church. Wednesday, King's Kids, infant to fifth grade, 630 here at the church. Every week for King's Kids, we have Royal Rangers Boys Club, Impact Girls Club, awesome children's workers there to bless your children. Thursday every week we have our gang outreach that goes out. Come on, they're hitting up the streets, preaching the gospel faithfully. 18 years and up, if you want to join that life group, meet them there at that address at 7 o'clock. 
And then every week we have two adult Bible studies. One is at the Govea's house. The other one is at the Vivid's house. 18 years and up, 7 p.m. Join them uh, at their homes. They're opening up their home. It's a beautiful time to kind of get refreshed throughout the week after a long week of work to get refreshed in the fellowship of the saints and get into the word of God. So that's what you have going on this week. Never a dull moment at MPI, right? Never a reason to, to be bored. So much to do, so much to get involved in. And then we want to mentor you. Somebody say mentor. We have our 101 book called Welcome to Your New Life, where we have leaders ready to take you through that book one-on-one. -on -one. You guys pick the times and dates that you get to meet, and they encourage you in your walk with the Lord. And then when you graduate the 101, you'll get into the 201 class, Disciples That Make Disciples, where we train you to be a leader in the church so that one day you could be ordained as a deacon or an elder and be all that God has called you to be. Then we want to send you out. Somebody say send. We have evangelism every Saturday from 5 to 8, hitting the streets, preaching the gospel to complete strangers, people we do not know, but they need to hear it. And Jesus told us to go. Somebody say go. go. Jesus said go into all of the nations and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that is our mandate. So we are very much a discipleship church, an evangelistic church, and we want you guys to be a part of that. So in recap, vision, strategy, a goal. Vision of loving God and loving people. Strategy to connect you, to mentor you, and to send you out. And a goal of 100,000 disciples in Chicago with 50 churches here and 500 around the world. Let me get a what, what? Praise the Lord. Who's excited to give this morning? Come on. I love that excitement. We are going to prepare to give our tithes and offerings to the Lord today. A tithe is 10% of our total income given regularly to the church. An offering is an amount above that tithe. That is an amount that is between you and the Lord, whatever he puts on your heart to give. And we designate that towards missions where we give to various mission projects throughout the year. And because of your generosity, people can uh, have their needs met. People can have Bibles in their hands, discipleship materials over uh, different nations. And then we're also in a building fund. So everything that you guys give generously with a cheerful heart that goes after the tithe goes to these two locations. And we're able to do so much for God in this city. Let's get into our lesson today in the Disciples Giving Book. We are on Section 2, Lesson 9. You can go to givingbook.org if you want to follow along or look up at the screen. Lesson 9, Offerings Supply the Ministry. The offering is a gift to God after our tithes. We're going to be reading in 2 Corinthians 9.12. If you're there, say, I'm there. Everybody should say, I'm there. It's right in front of you. Come on. 2 Corinthians 9.12. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. And let's read the three main points. Number one, service you perform. Giving offerings is a charitable service that God expects us to perform with a cheerful heart because we have been blessed by the best. Who has been blessed by the best here today? That, that is why each believer should prayerfully seek God for his or her best contribution. It comes through, their, through our relationship with the Lord, receiving his blessings in our life and saying, God, how much do you want me to give back? Number two, supplying the needs. When offerings are given to trusted leadership in the church, they will disperse the funds to meet the needs of God's people. For example, when you give to missions, the church guarantees that it will reach the intended people and supply the work of the gospel. And by God's grace, we have the integrity that that happens in this church. We have trusted leadership that allocates these monies to the proper funds. What you give to is what your monies go to. How many of you guys thank the Lord for that? Come on. Number three. 
overflowing with expressions of thanks. Every time we give offerings to supply the needs in the ministry, it results in many expressions of thanks to God. And I always want, I, I say this very often in, in different circumstances, but eternity will tell the stories. When we're in glory in heaven with thousands upon thousands and millions of people that have been saved all throughout mankind's history, heaven will tell the stories of what our monies did on the earth. Well, we accomplished stories from the Philippines, stories in Egypt, stories from Thailand, stories from China, that because of our giving, it resulted in thanksgiving to God, and we played a part in that because we were faithful to, the wo- to what the Lord tells us. Isn't that a good perspective to, to see it as? Here's a summary. Be confident that when you give offerings in church, you're supplying the needs of God's work upon the earth. Here's the three ways we could apply this to our life. Number one, be a faithful tither. Number two, pray. Ask God to help you perform the service of supplying the church's ministerial needs. And number three, be thankful that you get the chance to help hurting people and give them the gospel. That is such an honor that we get to co-labor with Christ upon this earth. If that gets you excited, let's recite this confession together on the count of three. One, two, three. The offering is a gift to God after the tithe and is given in a variety of ways. God said it should be a generous seed given with a cheerful heart from personal sacrifice. Offerings will always bring thanksgiving to God because they go towards charity and ministry supplies. We give offerings in obedience to God's word, sharing with others our blessings with a gracious heart by imitating Jesus and revealing where our treasure really is. Please stand up to your feet as we prepare to give our tithes and offerings this morning. Again, MPI believes that a tithe is 10% of our total income given to the church regularly. Anything above that is considered an offering, which we allocate towards missions and building. And we want to thank you for joining and partnering with us in that. On the envelope, you can see the different spaces of what the offerings and the tithes can go to. You could put the exact amount that you want to go towards each area. Here are four ways you could give at MPI. Number one, in the bucket during the offering time. Number two, in the wall-mounted drop boxes in the back. Number three, in the back with a credit or debit card. Number four, online with Chase QuickPay, PayPal, or BillPay at mpichurch.org forward slash giving. Very quick, effective, convenient for you. We thank you for joining with us. Here's an update for our building fund that we're in, soul winning summer. We have raised $2,457. Come on, we need to be louder than that. Let's get excited. The first month of our new building fund to carry out the rest of this year, we raised $2,457. That is your generosity, us coming together, saying, God, we're going to give to accomplish your purpose in this time, in this season in Chicago, so that we can have a soul-winning summer. So we got one month down. We got five more to go. All those dates there are Sundays where Brandon Hull, our guest worship pastor, is here with us. We're taking the worship ministry to another level. Our band is doing amazing. Everything sounds so good. And we're so pumped about us outreaching and doing all that we can to win souls in our community this summer in those various events. So we want you to continue to pray, to partner, to give. If you haven't made a commitment or a pledge already, that's between you and the Lord. Whatever it is, give it. Give it faithfully. Give it with a cheerful heart because we're going to be changing Chicago and the world one soul at a time. So that is amazing that we raise that together in one month. So we give all the glory to God and we thank you for partnering with us. Let's recite this verse together. Philippians 4.18. 
and my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your abundance in our lives, your provision, your faithfulness. We thank you, Lord, that we are blessed by the blessed. And now, Lord, we give you our tithe. We give you our offering. I pray that you uh, multiply it for your kingdom. Use it, God, to uh, spread your kingdom on this earth. We thank you that we get to be co-laborers with you. And we know, Lord, that eternity will tell of the stories. I pray, oh God, that you would bless the gift and the giver this morning. Bless them on their jobs. I pray that everything that we do would bring you glory, that your favor and your goodness would rest upon us, God, and that we would see your kingdom come to this earth. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. amen. Please come forward as you give this morning, and we thank you so much for your generosity. All right, how many are ready to start a new sermon series? Make some noise. Whoop, whoop. Come on, everybody. We are starting a brand new sermon series. So if you are a visitor here today, you have come at the right time. We are starting our Spiritual Disciplines Sermon Series. Now, everything about spiritual disciplines is not about you getting spanked, okay? So look at your neighbor and say, you ain't going to get spanked. Okay, we're not... We're not talking about punishing you. We're not talking about like, that's your spiritual discipline. No, we're not doing that. Spiritual disciplines, as some of you remember in our previous sermon series, was a key part of spiritual growth. So you're going to learn about it. And in some of your vocabulary, it might be better to say spiritual exercises, okay? So look at your neighbor and say, get it on. All right, let's open up our Bibles to a new sermon series passage. This is a goodie for you guys. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27. Let's get it on to the break of break of dawn. How many of you have enjoyed the nice weather in Chicago? Can I get some noise for that? Man, hasn't it been awesome? 
I just have loved seeing the sun again, even though it rains and sun and rain and sun, all that. And, you know, I, but I can take it as long as that sun makes it back out again. And if you haven't noticed, this gringo be getting a tan. So I'm like the gringo Latino, you know what I'm saying? I'm like, I'm like catching up to some of my gente right now. I've been doing some, you know, tests. I'm like, okay, I, I passed you up, but I'm going to still go for you, you know. And, uh, and I'm just like for realsies on that. So if you ever come by my house, you'll see me with my shirt off, mowing the lawn, walking around the neighborhood. Because there's just something about sun, man. I just love sun. Anybody else just love sun in this place? I mean, vitamin D all over you and like that. And you know what else? Who else I love? That's the sun, the S-O-N sun. How many love the son of God? Whoop, whoop. Okay, here we go. Spiritual disciplines. Today's first message in the series is on Bible reading. You're going to get a review on all of the things we'll be talking about for this whole summer. So it's going to be a summer series. And now let's look at the series text. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. Paul is the author. He's writing to the church of Corinth, which is a metropolitan city about 2,000 years ago. It's in the Roman Empire. In the church that he's writing to, there's people who have come from Jewish backgrounds who knew a lot about Jewish laws. There are Gentile background believers, which means they were mostly pagan in their origin of birth, like their families probably worshiped Zeus and the gods of Rome, and now they're Christians. And so you have a mixed interracial group here, a diverse group. And look around the church. Isn't it good to see diversity in this church, amen, from different backgrounds? And he is writing this letter mainly as a correction. It starts off as a correction. They're fighting about who they're following. They have different leaders and pastors in the church. And one says, I'm with Pastor Berto. Another one, I'm with Pastor Tony. Another one, I'm with Pastor Joe. And then spiritual people, I'm just with Jesus. And he says, stop it, stop it. And then there's sexual immorality. Uh, a man is sleeping with his stepmom. Come on, somebody go, that's gross, right? A man is sleeping with his stepmom. So trust me, we didn't, mean, we didn't need Maury Povich to tell us how bad the world is. 2,000 years ago, the world was bad back then. And then here's the kicker to it. You know how we just took communion? Well, our communion is grape juice so that children can take it with us. You know, we want to honor everybody here. But in those days, they took it with wine at their meals. And guess what they were doing with the communion wine? They were getting drunk. They were getting drunk at church while they were taking communion. Here's to Jesus. You know, you can just see that. I mean, they're fighting and all this. And, it, and he's like, stop. He's like, stop. You guys are making a mess out of this. You guys are fighting about who you're following. You're, you're having sexual immorality that's embarrassing. Even, he, he even says the world doesn't even do this. You church folk have gotten crazy. And then he says, and you're partying and getting drunk at our most sacred thing, communion. And then in the midst of this letter, chapter 9, he begins to encourage them about being disciplined, about being strict in their Christianity. And so now we need to stop pointing the fingers at them and say how bad they are. We need to look at our lives and say, is there things that I've let get out of control? Maybe I'm not getting drunk at communion, but am I getting drunk at the bar or with my friends? Uh, maybe I'm not having sexual immorality with my stepmom, but am I lusting in my heart? You know, am I looking at pornography? Am I having fantasies about someone that I'm not married to? And maybe we may not be fighting about which pastor in Metro Praise is the best, but are we fighting over jealous things about what someone else is wearing or bitter towards what someone did to us and we're not forgiving? In other words, are we not doing what we're supposed to do? 
And so what spiritual disciplines are supposed to remind us of, as Paul teaches us here, is we all are supposed to grow up and come up in our Christian faith. Our identity sets forth who we are. As Christians, we've been born again. There are no second-class Christians here. But now as Christians, do we want to grow up and be the men and women of God that he called us to be? Another way to look at it is if you were born, born in Sparta, you were by definition a Spartan. But to fight with the Spartans, you had to be disciplined and trained. How many want to be a trained disciple of Jesus Christ? Amen. Let's look at the passage. I think you're ready for it. Paul says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. How many winners do I got here today? Come on, how many want to win in life? Amen? That's what he's saying. He says there's only one winner. The rest are what? Losers. Okay? Now, verse 25. Everyone who competes in the games goes into what? Strict training. That is where we get the idea for spiritual discipline. Strict training. Let's keep going. They do it, these people in games and races, they do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. How many of you on Judgment Day want to be given a crown from God instead of condemnation and sent to hell? See, it's either a crown or condemnation. It's either he says, get out of here, you worker of iniquity, or well done, my good and faithful servant. Now, just so you don't think we walk around heaven like peacocks with our crowns, guess what we do with our crowns? The Bible says we crown him with our crown. So your life is represented in a crown, and in heaven your worship is giving that crown back to him every time you see him. I don't want to give Jesus a Burger King crown. I want to give Jesus a crown that's worthy of the life that he gave me, a crown that represents the discipline and the training that I went through for his kingdom's sake. Amen? And the Bible says in Matthew 6, if we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all the other things we need will be added unto us. Look at it again. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Verse 26, therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly, like, oh, where am I going? I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. Now, you know, boxers train like shadow boxing, but could you imagine like if Manny Pacquiao was in a fight and instead of boxing towards the opponent, he's literally against the ring, uh, you know, on the other side fighting the air. Wouldn't that just look ridiculous? And that's what some Christians are doing. They're running aimlessly. They don't know how to read their Bible. They don't know how to pray. They don't know how to live holy. They just go to church every now and then and listen to K-Love. And they don't know how to really beat up the devil. The devil keeps beating them up, and they're running away, boxing the air. And Paul says, I do not run like someone aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body, my flesh, and make it my slave. So that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. I don't know about you, but I don't want my body to control me. I want to control my body. You can start with your diet. You can tell your stomach, stomach, you listen here. You aren't in charge. I don't care how many barbecues you go to and you see that out of cheddar, you're going to know when to stop because you're not going to eat too much. You know, it's like for me, I don't care how many times your kids want to go to Dairy Queen, you're getting the mini blizzard. Not even the small, you're getting the mini and you got to tell your body that, don't you? You've got to tell your eyes. Eyes, don't you? Don't, don't, don't you? Look at that bonita senorita. That's not yours. That, pull out your phone. Look at your wife. Hallelujah. That's mine. Amen. 
You, you got to tell your body. You got to tell your body, I'm not sleeping in on Sunday. I'm coming to church. I'm getting up. I'm going to work. I'm going to put a smile on my face. I'll put a wire hanger in there if I have to, but I'm going to work smiling. What's wrong with you? Nothing. Just smiling for Jesus. I know we always don't feel like smiling. Trust me. Trust me. I understand there's hard days at work. I get it. But we all have to make a determination. Our bodies will be our slaves. Jesus said it like this when his disciples were sleeping on the night. He was about ready to be betrayed and arrested. Do you remember that? He's praying. He's sweating drops of blood. They're sleeping. He goes to them and he teaches them this lesson. The spirit is willing, but your flesh, your body is weak. You see, we will always have a battle against our flesh. Our flesh doesn't want to go into strict training. So when you hear me today start teaching these things, don't think to yourself that it comes easy to anybody. As we talk about Bible reading, maybe some of you are not good at reading. Guys, I was a high school dropout at 16. I couldn't remember anything to save my life, literally. And God started to teach me through the Bible to memorize Scripture, to remember the stories, and that changed my life. But strict training didn't come easy. And so today, we have to make our body our slave and not let it control us. Let our spirit control us through the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. So today, as I mentioned, we're going to be starting the new series, and we're going to be going through 12 of them, and today is Bible reading. Now, where you can see the rest of them is from our last series on spiritual growth, knowing, showing, and growing, knowing that Jesus is God and Savior, knowing that we share in the divine nature, and knowing that we can do all that God commands. That's what we believe. How many have faith to believe that today? Come on, when I ask you these questions, you say an amen. Do you believe Jesus is your God and Savior? Do you believe you are who God said you are? Do you believe you can do what God said you can do? Amen. So you believe that. Now it's time to show it. Now it's time to put your body to work. It's time to read the Bible and then put your body to work. It's time to have faith and works together. And so what are the things we're going to show? What are those disciplines? Bible reading, and then the list goes on for next week, family order. How many want to learn about being the kind of mother, father, husband, wife that God wants you to be, young person, a child serving your parents, scripture memorization, soul journaling, writing out those things that God tells you to do? How many know a lot of the Bible is people writing out their heart, like Psalms and Proverbs? you got to learn how to do that. It may not be considered scripture, but it can be special to you. Praying and worshiping, working on how to pray and worship, not just in a Sunday service. Discipleship and Christ-likeness. Christian service, doing all things is unto the Lord. This is really going to hit on your jobs. Number seven, when we get into that, it's like, how do I be, how am I a Christian on my job, you know? And we'll talk about that with wisdom. You don't have to come in there with Christian t-shirts saying Bible verses the whole time, but you need to do what you do unto God with his morality, with his energy and strength, praying for his blessing and success, amen? I don't know any boss that will tell you, don't act like a Christian here when it comes to you telling the truth, coming to work on time, and working hard. If they think working like a Christian is backbiting, gossiping, see, they have the wrong definition. I want you to show them what it's like to be a true Christian. Amen? And then public evangelism. Aren't you happy we're going out to Puerto Rican Fest? I mean, I'm telling you, everybody should do that. And the only people, I'm being honest with you, the only people that have a problem with this are generally the people that are Puerto Rican, and they don't want us to go out there and reach it. I could go right now. I'm telling you the truth. As this gringo, don't throw any, don't throw anything at any empanadas at me, okay? Be nice to me right now. Don't be, but I'll take it and eat it if you throw it at me, okay? But listen, if you go to our website right now, Puerto Rican Outreach on Facebook, you know who's telling us to stay away from there? Puerto Rican. It's right there right now. 
they should shut it down. There's so much violence out there. And I understand that. I'm not applauding what has happened to that, that festival in many ways. But here's the thing. Guys, if Christians leave everything, we only give it back to the world. What do you think is going to happen? If you turn off all the lights in the room, what's, what do you got left? Darkness. So let's go out there and make a difference. Amen. And if you're going to send your young people out, their parents, go with them. You know, you don't have to just send the teenager by himself. They get in trouble. Go with them. Let us set an example of what godliness looks like here. Amen. Uh, spiritual meditation. Like I said, we don't have to do the crooked chicken to meditate. Ooh, I'm going to teach you what the Bible says about meditation. Financial stewardship. Not loving money, but loving God and using money as a tool. Have you ever seen a man walk around going, I love this hammer. This is the best hammer in the whole. I mean, maybe they might like it, but I mean, have you ever seen a person write a song about a hammer? I love this hammer. This is the best hammer. But why do we do that with money? Singing songs about money, 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 money. Hello? You don't hear it like hammer, 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 hammer. You see, we have fallen in love with tools. When we fall in love with money, money's just a tool to accomplish the things for God, to build a family, to, to buy a car, etc. Number 11, Christian fellowship, why we should hang out with Christians. Of course, still love people in the world, but really making Christian friendship. And then number two, church involvement, because there's a place for you to serve in the church. Those will be the 12 things we'll be going over, and today is the Bible. Everybody go to the Bible. Thank you. The Bible is the greatest book ever written. How many believe that? Amen. The Bible actually means book, and the phrase Holy Bible simply means the sacred book. The Bible was written over a period of 1,500 years by 40 different authors from many different walks of life. Each author wrote down the words that God inspired them to write, so it's not their own ideas. This is why, despite there being 40 different authors, the message throughout the entire Bible is perfectly unified. When you read Genesis or Revelation, no contradiction. It all fits together without error, and it is essential for godly living. I was taught this by my dad who played college football, that you can look at the Bible, B-I-B-L-E, as basic instructions before leaving earth. This is your playbook for life. God made you, he created you, and this is the owner's manual. Now, to make this exciting and interesting, everybody say interesting, I have prepared a video for you guys here. And by prepare, I mean I went to YouTube and copied it. And so it's about six minutes long. Would you dim the lights for me, por favor? And it's going to teach you a lot about the Bible and the history. Because now in secular media, like if you go to the History Channel or these different types of shows on Discovery, they may teach you things that the Bible about the Bible that's not true. So let us look to what the Bible says and hear what the best scholars say about the Bible. And, of course, I just, I just messed it up. Would you guys look to your neighbor and tell them your favorite Bible verse while I go over here?
All right, let's give it up for the Bible. Amen. Now, who wants to guess, just shout it out if you want to guess, who wants to guess who burned our man at the stake for translating the Bible into English? The Roman Catholics, correct. My friend, that's why we're Protestant. We are not angry with Catholics today. Obviously, I have Catholic relatives, so do you. But in history, that's what it was. The Roman Catholics actually put the language of the Bible in an unspoken language of the people so that only the priests could understand it and interpret it. And so then what we did is protested and said, hey, you guys can't do that. That Bible's for everybody. And then the Protestant uh, Reformation began to start, and we began to break away. I have a gentleman. And we began to break away from the Roman Catholic Church. And one of the first things that we did is we started to translate the Bible. And then by doing that, we became heretics, and they burned us at the stake. So that's why today I still believe that the Pope is not the vicar of Christ and that confession and those things are not biblical. Those are additions that came later. So if you want to study history, go back and study the Reformation. And then on today's notes that are always online, you can see right here how we got the Bible. And then the playlist is right here, and it's already moving now by itself to number two, and it will go through all five of the videos for you. Everybody go, thank you, Pastor. You are welcome. Okay, everybody open up their Bibles now to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Hopefully you know more about your Bible. How many learned something in that video? You learned about where the chapters came from, where the verses came from. And now maybe you want to know where did the actual writing come from? Where did these guys get the ideas, these 40-plus authors, to write down what they wrote down? Because any of us could write down what we think God is saying, and a lot of people have been inspired. Beethoven was inspired. Uh, you know, modern-day musicians, Frank Sinatra, are inspired. So where did the inspiration of the Bible come from? Let us look to what it says about itself. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. If you're there, say, I'm there. Thank you. It says, all Scripture. Somebody say, all Scripture. Thank you. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Somebody say, every good work. Thank you. And then later on in chapter 4, verse 2, just go down a few verses. Timothy, uh, Paul says to Timothy, preach the word, be prepared in season, out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. So here we see that the Bible says about itself that it is God-breathed, that it is holy inspiration. And so this is where now you have to decide to have faith or not. It's up to you whether or not you believe the Bible is inspired. There are a lot of reasons that you can believe that the Bible is inspired. You can look at the scriptures and you can see prophecies and see that the men of God spoke about what would happen in the future and then it came to pass. And now even we can look at Jesus' words and his prophecies towards our time, which would be 2,000 years for him looking in the future, and see them coming to pass. So everybody say prophecy. Prophecy could be an evidence to you to show you that these are truly God's words. Also, the power of the scriptures could be an evidence to you, meaning is there any other book in all of history that has transformed as many lives as the Bible? No. When you look at the inspiration of the Bible, there is no comparison. Now, I know other religions have their holy writings as well, and they say it's changed lives too. But when you look at the life that has changed from those religions, it is really self-improvement. 
When you look at a Muslim and he talks about the Quran, he'll say that, of course, God has enabled him, but it's really his good works that has changed his life. He made a decision. He did good works. If you read the Bhagavad Gita, the famous work by the Hindus, which is about Krishna and his journeys among the people, once again, they will say it's inspired and it's changed their life. But when you really get down to the depth of it, it's what they did for themselves. It's a self-improvement. And even to today's modern New Age religions, you know, that are made popularized by people like Deepak and, uh, you know, Oprah, etc. But this is the power of the Bible, is that all those who have been changed by it take no credit for themselves and as a matter of fact, they deny that they even had the power to do one good work if it wasn't for the Scripture itself. Do you understand the difference? Now, I hope today you as a Christian are sharing the Christian testimony because if you're saying you've changed yourself and God just kind of helped you along the way, er, you're wrong, and you may not even be saved. And I mean that in all reality because those of us who have been truly saved always know that it's not of us. We know the scriptures that speak about salvation, and we go, yes, that's true. No one has been saved of good works lest they boast. It is the free gift of God given by his grace, accepted through faith. For we are God's workmanship created in him to do good works. Amen? That's the gospel according to Paul in Ephesians chapter 2. And even Jesus himself taught this way. When Jesus looked at the most religious man of the day, Nicodemus, in his conversation with him, he said, Nicodemus, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven unless you're born again. Now, once again, a religion may say, yes, that's reincarnation, but that's not what Jesus meant. Or someone else may say, well, you'll be reborn as you do good works consistently. No, that's not what Jesus meant, because he then went on in that same passage with Nicodemus in John chapter 3 to say, for God so loved the world, come on, say it with me, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish. So the believing in the Son of God is what brings instantaneous transformation. So there's two good evidences to put your trust in Scripture. Number one, prophecy. Number two, the power of the Bible. And then number three, number three is that it contains the life of Jesus. If we didn't have the Bible, we wouldn't know much about Jesus, though we may know a few simple facts about him, that he was born in obscurity, that he lived a miraculous life, or at least the, fo the followers or the contemporaries of Jesus thought so because they were convinced he had power, and then that he was crucified under Pontius Pilate, and afterwards they no longer could find his body. No one knew what happened to him. But then you go to the Bible and you hear the complete story that Jesus wasn't just a good man born on a certain day like Martin Luther King Jr. or Gandhi, etc. No, that Jesus actually preexisted as the eternal Son of God, equal with the Father in deity, for God is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and took on flesh, born of a virgin, to live a sinless life, to preach the message of God, and then to be a atonement, a Passover lamb. That's when he was crucified, when the Jewish people would kill a lamb for sacrifice. And he died for men's sins and even prophesied beforehand that three days he would rise again and that you would not be able to see him in the grave. He would not be abandoned there and that he ascended to heaven and that he'll come back. And so when you look at the central figure of the Bible, Jesus, and the stories that the Gospels contain, you begin to see that the Bible is very unique when it talks about who Jesus is. How many believe in Jesus? How many are thankful the Bible talks about Jesus? 
So there you have three reasons to trust the Bible. The Bible has prophetic utterance. The Bible has living and active power today to transform your life, not through self-improvement, but solely and only through the power of God. And then thirdly, Jesus is the star of the Bible, written about and confirmed in history. Now, what does the Bible do in your life when you read it? When you start taking on the practical discipline of reading the Bible every day and starting to apply its teachings, study what it actually means, and live it out. Well, these are the things it will do in your life. Paul said it here in this passage, and I put it on the Bible, a dietary chart. How many like dietary charts? No, we don't really like it. We want pizza and all of the dietary parts, right? You know what I'm saying? Foundation in the middle. And some people actually say you can do that with the with the pizza. It has it has your uh, you know your wheats and your grains or whatever. It has your vegetables. It has your dairy. How many love pizza? You can tell I'm a little hungry. But look at this as your dietary chart. The Bible will give you good teaching. The Bible will rebuke you. That means tell you to stop doing bad stuff. The Bible will correct you. And the difference between a correction and a rebuke, a rebuke just tells you to stop, but a correction now tells you what to start doing. Stop lusting. Start being pure. Stop lying. Start telling the truth. See, that's rebuke, correction, rebuke, correction. And then training is how you get good at it. I wish that I could tell my kids one time to stop fighting and they would never fight again. Bethany, Hannah, y'all get along for the rest of your life, okay? But I have to train them to get along by doing what? Teaching, rebuking, correcting, and then the last one, encouraging. The Bible will encourage you, tell you not to give up, let you know that there are promises that are for you today and that God is with you, never leave you or forsake you, and that you can do all things through Christ. So let me ask you a question. First, as your preacher, as the in-house person that is generally speaking here on Sunday, Am I doing well at preparing healthy spiritual meals for you? When you come to MPI Church on Sunday, I want you to be honest. Judge me according to this. Don't judge me according to my outfit because you know I love to wear shorts and keep it cool. I got sandals on. And if anybody ever has a problem with sandals, what do you think Jesus was wearing, y'all? What do you think he wore, right? He wore sandals. Okay. Anyways. It's not about judging me according to my sense of humor. Some of you don't dig it. That's okay. I'm not trying to be a comedian, and though I just am up here being myself. It's not about my appearance. Judge me according to this. Honestly, look at this and ask yourself, how well has Pastor Joe been at teaching me the Bible? When you come here, do you get taught? Okay. How well is Joe doing at rebuking you? Do you get rebuked when you get you come here? I mean, I just feel sorry for the guy in pornography that come here, right? He hears it every week. Don't look at porn. Don't look at porn. Because that's like my favorite thing to pick on. Why? Because I'm a guy and I can relate to men. I can relate to greed. I can relate to anger. How many receive correction about how to correct your ways, walk in righteousness? How many feel like you get trained when you hear the word of God here? That you're actually learning. It's not just coming to church. I had a good time. I was inspired. But you're actually given practical things to do throughout the week. As a matter of fact, one of the most encouraging things I heard as of recently was a new uh, couple in the church. The husband said to me, he said, I go through your notes when I'm on my job on break that you preach on Sunday. I go through it throughout the week and read all the extra scriptures because, you know, I always got a lot of nuggies in there. And he says, it encourages me so much. And I'm like, praise God, he's being encouraged to be trained. And then lastly, how many of you get encouraged when you come here? I mean, I know sometimes we got to tell it as a T.I. is, as it is, and I know sometimes we got to do little spiritual corrections, but how many know at the end of the day, I love you, the Word of God's encouraging you, we're here to tell you, you can make it, amen? How many believe that? If you do, can you say amen? Come on, thank you, because that's what I work hard at. That, to me, is my passion. My passion 
is that you would know and love the Word of God. That's why I started it as number one spiritual discipline, because I feel if you know the Word of God, you'll understand what your purpose is in life. You'll know what God expects from you. You'll know what God expects from your family. And a lot of us have gotten confused about reading the Bible. Some of us have gotten discouraged. And I want this sermon today to encourage you to start reading the Bible every day. And so now let me give you a way to understand the Bible as a whole. In summary, if you wanted to know what the whole book is about, okay, Pastor, what are all 66 of these books about? Okay, let's look at it as seven acts, like the play of God. Act one is creation in the fall. It's God creating the world perfect, but man fell into sin. That's Genesis 1 through 11. That's at the beginning of the book. Act two is God gathering a people, him choosing Abraham and his descendants to be a chosen people. That's Genesis 12 through 50. And through Abraham comes the nation of Israel, which is going to be highlighted throughout some of these acts. Act number three is God separating a people. That's when God raises up Moses and the other prophets to teach those Jewish Israelite people the commands of God. That's now all the way through Exodus to 2 Samuel. Act four is God maintaining his holiness or the code of living. God judges his people when they don't do it. He reproves the kings, and he allows them even to get taken as prisoners when they don't obey his law or listen to his prophets. That's in First and Second Kings. Those were the kings of Israel, and a lot of them didn't do well. Then you get to Act 5, and now this is Jesus coming on the scene. Jesus comes on the scene to save a people, and that's where we get into the New Testament. The Old Testament is centered around the kings of Israel and the land of uh, the nation of Israel and the Jewish people, and then the prophets are the ones speaking to them. That's why, like, Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament. That was one of the last prophets speaking to the Jewish people. But when you start with Matthew, the Gospels, and the New Testament, and Testament just means covenant or deal. God's first deal, his first covenant was with the Israelites, and his new deal is with the whole world. It's the new covenant, and the Israelite people are still there, but now it's for also the non-Israelites. And how many are happy God made a deal with non-Israelites? Amen? Because the Italians wouldn't be getting in unless he made a new deal. Come on. And I know some of the Puerto Ricans wouldn't be getting in. Amen? And the Mexicans. I mean, there's very few Israelites today in the world. Out of the 7 billion of people on the planet, very few are from the nation of Israel. That's why Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples. That's the new deal. So he sent his son Jesus to live a sinless life, die on the cross, rise from the dead, establish the church, which is the new covenant. And then Act 6 is what we're in right now. Everybody say right now. That's God gathering his people from every nation, tribe, and language. That's why we're doing mission work in Chicago, supporting our missionaries around the world. One of our young students is in Columbia College here, but she goes home for the summer to her church in Alabama, and she's going to El Salvador for a mission trip. I don't know if you guys saw some of Desiree's posts, and I was the first one to respond and say, MPI is going to give you $100. Now, why does MPI do that? Because we believe in missions here. And, and it's not Joe making it rain $100. It's when all of us give to the missions fund. Amen? And so that's what we're in right now. And then lastly, like the book of Revelation and so forth, is the Act 7, which is restoring all things when Jesus comes back and judges the world. And Act 6 is the, the core of the New Testament, Acts and Romans and 1 Corinthians, all those letters for us to apply to our life. How many understand the Bible now in a nutshell? This is what I want you to do. Do this for me right now. If you're not my friend on Facebook, make it official, become my friend. I need you as my friend. It'll make me build boards better. Just kidding. But there's a half kid in there because I like friends. How many like friends? Okay. But I want you now to write me any question that you have today because I'm going to pick out two or three at the end and answer them before we leave. So I want to stop right here to say 
message me privately, and before we end today, I'm going to answer some of your questions about the Bible. So if you don't have any questions and you got it, that's cool. But if you're my friend on Facebook and you have some questions about the Bible, I want to stop right now and make sure that before we go, I can answer at least three of them because I want everyone to know about the Bible here. And, of course, in your life groups, bring up those questions and in your one-on-one discipleship or in the 201 class. Now, how many are ready to read the Bible? Can I get an amen? Okay, so we got to read the Bible. There's many different ways to read the Bible. You might have done this way of reading the Bible, just sit down, pick it up, and start reading. That's not a way I'm going to encourage to read the Bible, okay? There's actually organized ways to read the Bible. Now, anytime you read the Bible as a pastor, I am happy, okay? But if you just sit down and go, okay, let me start somewhere and read some random thing, chances are you will not understand what's going on, and you won't be able to study it and grow in your knowledge. So let me give you different practical ways to read your Bible. One of the first ways to read your Bible is the topical way. That's reading verses pertaining to specific subjects. And guess what? On my notey notes, I've got examples of these things. Everybody say his notey notes. So here is the example. Here's what it's like to read it topically. I have a internet site you can go to. Bible verses by topic, peace Bible verses, encouraging Bible verses, hope Bible verses. So if you wanted to sit down tomorrow, you could pick a topic. You could even search one right here, a new one, and just begin to read the Bible according to topics. Here's verses about friendship. Proverbs 18.24, the one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. How many are encouraged already? Amen. Here's another one, Proverbs 22, 24 through 25. Do not make friends with the hot-tempered man. Come on, somebody say amen. Don't associate with one easily angered, or you may learn their ways and get yourself ensnared. How many know that's happened before? I used to get in fights because of my friends, and sometimes they would because of me. Proverbs 13, 20. Walk with the wise, become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. How many are getting something out of this? All we did is just pick one subject in the Bible, went to a place that already categorized it for us, and there are verses after verse. In this subject right here, friendship, there's probably about 100 verses on friendship. So what do you do? You simply take on these Bible verses, and you begin to study them and learn them. Now, let's continue on with other ways to read the Bible. Let me see if I can get it back up here, because I'm going to be hitting on these few ditties. Okay, let's go here. Give me just a second. Is this helping anybody? Because I'm going to click on these for you. Does this help some of you guys? Okay. Did my sermon disappear? Because I don't know. Lord, Lord, Lord. It gets hot up here when these awkward moments happen. Did I already ask you guys to find your favorite Bible verse and tell your neighbor? Why don't you ask your neighbor what they're going to do today in the nice weather? I'm sorry. I don't know. I got to keep up with these things. Please be patient with me. Okay, I got it, gentlemen. Thank you. Let me just see if I can do this without it messing up. Okay, so number one is topically. Another way to read your Bibles from beginning to end, if you can be disciplined enough, you can read from Genesis to Revelation. But a lot of people give up when they get around Leviticus and these kind of books of the Bible that get really difficult into understanding because there are a lot of laws to Israel. Remember I said the first covenant, the first deal is to Israelites, the Jewish people. So beginning to end is a great option. You just got to be willing to stick through some of the hard parts. Another option is to read the Bible book to book. So you don't just take random verses like you do topically. You actually start and finish a whole book. So you would like start the book of John today. 
Start reading the chapter, mark off where you left off, start with chapter 2 tomorrow onward until you finish the book. And then after you completed the whole book of John, you would then go and read another book. This is honestly the way I consistently read the Bible and have for almost 20 years. I just take a book at a time, read it from start to finish, and that's how I enjoy reading it. Another way to do it, it's is cool for some of you who have been around for a while, is chronologically. When you look at the Bible, the 66 books are actually not organized according to time. Though Genesis is at the beginning of time and Revelation is at the end, after that, there's a lot of differences in what's going on. So to give you an example, when you look at what's happening chronologically, the book of Job in your Bibles, the story of Job who was tested by Satan, how many have ever heard of him? How many ever thought the book of Job was the book of Job? Anybody? No, some of y'all don't want to admit it. Okay. Job, man, I need one of those. Let me go to that. <laughs> Thou shalt come to work on time. Okay, that helps me out, Jesus. No, the book of Job, guess what? It's like around 30, you know, somewhere around there in the Old Testament. But it actually happens around chapter 12 in the book of Genesis. So you see, if you were reading it from start to finish, you wouldn't be reading chronological because by the time you got to the book of Job, that 30th book, whatever, you would have already passed up the time frame when Job was actually alive. Does that make sense? And it's the same thing with Psalms. Psalms is almost towards the end of the Old Testament, but Psalms is written towards the beginning of the time of the Bible. So when you take it chronologically, you would go to a place like this. You can get them on apps, and you would say, okay, day one, I'm going to read Genesis 1 through 3, etc. Then day four, I'm going to read Job 1 through 5. And then you'll start to see that it starts to bounce around a little bit. As you go further into your days, you can do it within a year. And the Psalms especially starts bouncing back into the times of when David was alive. And you actually start to see when David is facing Goliath, David's writing a song. When David is being chased by Saul, David's writing a song. When Solomon's alive and facing these problems, he's writing Proverbs. Everybody go, ooh, isn't that cool? Now, brother, where is my sermon going when I click? Do you see it back there? I'm clicking on a link, but do you know where the actual sermon goes? I'm, I'm going to try back a page again, but for some reason it's not. Oh, let's give it up for Drewski. I love him. Sometimes I get nervous up here and I forget what I'm doing. Pastor even gets nervous sometimes, believe it or not. Especially when some of you all look at me like you're bored. You ain't bored, are you? Some of you like, ain't going to lie, you're bored. No, don't be bored. If you are bored, let me go up here and rebuke you a little bit. Let me give you some of the diet. Let me rebuke you. Let me make sure I hit on all of these today. Don't you get bored with the Bible? Like some of you like, I already know the Bible. You don't know the Bible like this. Come on, you're learning something. Some of you all never knew the Bible wasn't in chronological order. Now you know. Another way to read the Bible is the buffet style. Now this sounds weird, but it's actually the most popular way to read the Bible in a year. Most apps, if you said, I want to do a daily reading program, will do it in a buffet style. And what that means is you'll read three passages a day, one from the New Testament, one from the Old Testament, and then a portion of Psalms or Proverbs. And so what that will do is give you a little bit of each, a little bit of the old, a little bit of the new, and a little bit of those songs and Proverbs that will really encourage you. And so this is what an average day would look like. Starting day one is you would l read Luke 5 through those verses, Genesis 1 through those verses, and then Psalm 1. And so it kind of gives you a way to move through it in, in a buffet way that you can see a piece of all the different puzzles. Let me go back here now. And then I believe I got one more here for you. Yeah, and then there are various ways, which I put examples here, 
uh, I mean, a link to other examples where you could just say, I want to read the whole Old Testament at once or just the whole New Testament at once, or I'll read just Paul's letters at once, just John's letter at once, because John wrote the Gospel of John, First and Second and Third John in the book of Revelation. And you would say, I'm just going to read those five books all at once. Or if you really like Paul, because he wrote a lot of the New Testament, you'll say, I'll read from Romans to Second Thessalonians. I'm going to read Paul's stuff, or I'm going to read Peter's stuff, First and Second Peter. How many are tracking with me there? Now, what's really cool is that there's a popular version on your phones for apps uh, on iTunes, I mean, Apple and Android called the U version, and it also includes audio Bible. So anybody who's already thought to themselves, I can't do this because it's an audio, I mean, I don't know how to read very well, challenge yourself to read by listening to the audio Bible and follow along on your phone. Can I get an amen? Amen. Let me just say this. We're about ready to close. Vinny, would you come, please? But I got a good way to end today. I'm going to answer some of your questions and end on a high note, so follow along. But why is it important to read the Bible consistently? Listen to Isaiah 55, 9 through 11. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. How many believe that God's brain is a little bit smarter than ours or his ways are better than ours? As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so it is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return empty to me, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. <coughs> Amen. Even if you don't think you're getting a lot out of it, keep reading the Bible. It will literally water your heart and start to grow good things in there. There may be questions that you have, and I can't maybe answer them all, but start to go to your leaders and start to learn more about the Bible. Those mysteries will get solved as you continue to study, and God will grow in your heart that wonderful fruit of his character, that wonderful fruit of wisdom. How many want to be wise like God? I mean, I know it sounds impossible. I want to be smart like God. Well, that's literally what the Bible is. It's teaching us his ways. Now let me go to the Facebook page and see if anybody asks any questions. Did anybody ask any questions? Oh, I got four. Good. Okay, I won't name your names. Here we go. How do you deal with questions and objections to your faith that friends may oppose? Well, I do that through the scriptures. And if they say I don't believe the Bible, then I have to now explain why I believe the Bible. But if they'll grant me the Bible as at least a source of truth for me, and I'll say this is what I believe, then from there I'll start to answer some of their questions. So if they go, well, why do you all Christians think homosexuality is wrong? Okay, well, I'm going to show you in the Bible. Now, if they go, well, you Christians, you just argue in a circle. You prove the Bible with the Bible. No, I'll go then outside of the Bible to prove the Bible, like I just shared, with prophecies, with the power of the scriptures, and with the truth of Jesus. Okay, so if you have further questions about certain objections, please see your life group leader, and they will love to answer those objections or message me and I'll give you links to other sites. Let's go to another one. Why did God make 66 books when he could have made less books? So the idea is, why didn't God make it smaller, make a summary version? Well, in one sense, he did. Throughout the generations that were receiving the Bible, they didn't have the complete Bible. So if you were in the time of, say, Abraham, all you would have had is the oral traditions that they would have known. Then in the time of Moses, you probably would have had about five books. As you went throughout the time of the prophets, you might have had a few prophets that you would have added to that. And most people, by the way, couldn't even read or contain that kind of literature because you would have ruined it by having it in your house 
they had to be specially taken care of and kept in dry uh, places and tunnels and things. That's why the Dead Sea Scrolls were found in caves. So if you were just keeping a Bible scroll around your house, A, you probably wouldn't be able to read it back in those ancient times. And also it might have been ruined just keeping around in the moisture, just normal living. Uh, So those who had them, it was very special. And then by the time you get to the New Testament, they are just having their books. Like the Corinthian people, when he's writing, Paul's writing to the Corinthians, more than likely they only had the book of Luke and the letter of Corinth that was written to them. And so the Bible is satisfactorily in individual books to help people live for God in the season, in, in the, it was, I should say, in the seasons that they were in. And so now instead of looking at it as a bad thing, I actually look at it as a great thing. I get the wealth of knowledge through all of those time periods, all of those different churches, and now it fills me in onto so many different uh, situations. So I'm thankful for all of those books instead of just one book to the Chicagoans. If you have more questions, once again, talk to one of us. Um, someone asked a question about the Old Testament, why are there 613 laws? Well, those were the laws God gave the nation of Israel. When the nation of Israel had the deal given to them by Moses, the Ten Commandments was just a summary of the other 613 laws they would have to keep. And all of those laws also applied to their civil government. The Jewish people lived by a religious law, very similar to how Muslims now want to live by Sharia law, you know, those who believe in that. The Jewish people lived by the law of Moses. So it actually talked about how they would pay their taxes, what they would do to criminals. And so that was the need for all of those laws. I mean, I don't even know how many laws the American government has. I'm sure it's in the thousands, if not tens of thousands. Somebody Google that for me just so I can have a number in my head. But this was a this was a this this 613 laws was for the whole government. And that's why in the New Deal. The new covenant, Jesus, he's about a church and not a government. That's why we don't believe in taking over lands and making them Christian, okay? So that's why when our people made, the pilgrims came over, they made a democracy eventually. We'll say it that way, eventually. Um, What can I respond to Catholics who say that the Bible uh, I have is missing books because they have other books that we don't have? And that is true. The uh, Catholics have more books in their Bible than the Protestants do. And this is because they add uh, the Jewish history books to their Old Testament. The Jewish Tanakh, or their Old Testament, if you went to a synagogue uh, yesterday, on Saturday, when when they had their ceremony, your Old Testament matches theirs perfectly. Around the 1500s, the Roman Catholics discovered that the Jews had other books as well that they revered but didn't call Scripture. They then thought, The Jews were wrong and said, we're going to add this to our scripture. And then that is why they put it into their Bible. But we have Protestants, the identical Bible of the Jewish people. Does that make sense? And here's another way of saying it. Our Old Testament is the Old Testament of of Jesus and the disciples. When Jesus and the disciples had what was known to them as the Septuagint, the Old Testament in Greek language, it was 39 books exactly the way we have. Like I said, it wasn't until much later that the Catholics did that. For whatever reason, we can go into that later. But if you talk to a Jewish person, you would have to ask them, why didn't you accept those books? And then that gets into a bigger question of how did they know which books were inspired? And I think that's a lot of what I was talking about before, is they would look for prophecies, they would look for truth, they would look for inspiration, they would look for the people who wrote them. And so I like those books that the Catholics have. I I respect them. I just don't consider them scripture. I'm like a Jewish person who says, these are our Old Testament. And in that way, I'm like Jesus. Look at your neighbor and say, he's just like Jesus. 
What else can I say? I'm just like Jesus. Those were our, um, I believe, three questions. I wish I could answer more, but I cannot. If you have more questions, go to discipleship. Go to life group. How many learned something? Come on, give it up for Jesus. Amen. little hot up here, but I'm loving it. Just play it just like that. But I got something exciting to share with you before we go. Band, would you come up here? Because you know what's the funnest thing about the Bible to me? That is seeing Jesus in every book of the Bible. Do you know that Jesus is from the beginning to the end of the Bible? If you haven't read the Bible through the lens of Jesus, you need to start doing so. Looking at where Jesus is in those books and where he is coming through with his truth and with his prophecies and with his divinity. I want to go through this all 66 books. When you look at the book of Genesis, Jesus is our creator and promised redeemer. In Exodus, he is our Passover lamb. In Leviticus, our, our high priest. In Numbers, our water in the desert. In Deuteronomy, our lawgiver. In Joshua, our commander in the army of the Lord. In Judges, our deliverer. In Ruth, our kinsman redeemer. In 1 Samuel, Jesus is our prophet, priest, and king. In 2 Samuel, our grace giver. In 1 Kings, our promise keeper. In 2 Kings, our truth teller. In 1 Chronicles, Jesus is our faithful king. In 2 Chronicles, Jesus is our hope in the midst of hopelessness. In the book of Ezra, Jesus is our priest proclaiming freedom. In Nehemiah, he is our restorer. In Esther, he is our protector. In Job, he is our joy in suffering. In Psalms, he is our song. In Proverbs, he is our wisdom. In Ecclesiastes, Jesus Jesus is our meaning in life. In the Song of Solomon, he is our selfless lover. In Isaiah, he is our suffering servant. In Jeremiah, he is our weeping Messiah. In Lamentations, our interceder. In Ezekiel, our covenant keeper. In the book of Daniel, he is our friend in the fire. In Hosea, he is our faithful husband. In Joel, our Jesus is the spirit baptizer. In the book of Amos, Jesus is our helper. In Obadiah, our judge. In Jonah, Jesus is our great missionary. In Micah, he is our defender. In Nahum, he is our future hope. In Habakkuk, he is our vision. In Zephaniah, he is our warrior. In Haggai, he is our builder. In Zechariah, Hallelujah. Zephaniah, our warrior. Haggai, our builder. In Zechariah, our Messiah, pierced for us. In Malachi, our son of righteousness. In Matthew, our virgin-born Savior. In Mark, our miracle worker. In the book of Luke, Jesus is the anointed one. In John, our God in the flesh. In the book of Acts, our foundation for the church. In Romans, our righteousness in God. In 1 Corinthians, Jesus is our power. In 2 Corinthians, he is our generosity. In Galatians, Jesus is our spiritual freedom. In Ephesians, he is our grace giver. In Philippians, he is our joy. In Colossians, our reconciliation. In 1 Thessalonians, our comfort. In 2 Thessalonians, our returning king. In 1 Timothy, Jesus is our order in the church. In 2 Timothy, our leader. In Titus, our great God and Savior. In Philemon, our emancipator. In Hebrews, our faithful 
faithful high priest. In James, our faithful example. In 1 Peter, our hope. In 2 Peter, our guard. In 1 John, our love. In 2 John, our teacher. In 3 John, our truth. In the book of Jude, Jesus is our coming one. And in the book of Revelation, Jesus is our King of kings and Lord of lords, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Hallelujah. Come on, would you stand to your feet and give Jesus a hand clap of praise. Hallelujah. We love you, Jesus. It's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. There is none besides you, Jesus. Today, I want to ask you to make a commitment to read the Bible every day and to study it until the Holy Spirit penetrates your heart and your mind with the presence, the purpose, and the power of God. Would you pray with me now, Father? We have taught about your word today, and we now ask you to confirm it in our hearts. We ask you to plant it deep within us as a seed that it would grow and bear good fruit. Altar workers, would you come, please? As I'm praying right now, saints, would you look at your life and be honest? Have you gone into strict training with your Bible reading yet? Have you taken it serious, or are you just running aimlessly and beating the air? You need to read your Bible like you want to win a race. You need to win. You need to read your Bible like you want to win a fight against the devil. Right now in your heart, if you haven't been reading the Word or respecting it like you should, would you just repent before the Lord and say, God, forgive me. I've spent more time watching TV than I have reading your Word. I've spent more time, oh God, reading the newspaper, Facebook, than putting my face in your book. Help me, Jesus. Help me, Lord. Those of you right now who have been reading your word, ask God to start giving you creative ways to make it fresh. Maybe you need to put on the audio Bible on your commute to work to and from. Maybe you need to start reading a passage a day with your family. If you didn't know, we have devotions that come out every day that will give you a passage of the scripture according to a topic. But no matter who you are right now, 30 seconds, would you take the word of God serious? God wrote you a letter to express his love for you and his plan for your life. Will you read it every day? Will you hide the word of God within your heart so that you don't sin against the holy God who made you? Will you teach it to your children? Come on, parents, will you pray for creative ways to teach it to your children? I got children devotions I do with my children every day. Every day we memorize the scripture. We hear a lesson. We read it topically. Fifteen more seconds. Your word, God, your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. Hallelujah. I will do it your way. You're my great king. These are your commands. I will listen and obey. In the name of Jesus. We're going to close out singing a song, but before we do, would you look up at me, please? Would you take serious the word of God? As a church, it's not good enough for me just to preach to you every week. you got to learn it yourself. you got to come in here so hungry, like, man, I'm ready for that word. I know we'll always have visitors, so I don't mind explaining 
you know, things in the Bible. That's what makes this church fun for me. But I want you all to start growing. I want you all to start getting into the Bible studies, the life groups. Watch what it does to your life. I was doing our scripture memory verses with my kids the other day. And you know what was so precious? Because Zoe's only two. And we memorized these scriptures. And we just summarized. So like whatever one was like a couple days ago that I can remember. It was like, seek God first and everything else will be added to you. Something simple. We'll say it over and over and then my kids will say. And all of a sudden, Zoe was talking, two years old. And I was like, you know, be quiet, Zoe. And then they told me, no, she's trying to say the verse. She wants her turn. I'm telling you the truth. We got to record it one time when it's her turn. And what she'll do is she'll just say the last word. So if it was like that one I was just saying, she'll just be like, and all things. And you can hear her saying in her little baby voice. And now every time we do, we, we read the scripture, go through the little lesson. literally takes us five minutes, five minutes, I'm telling you. Each one memorizes it, and we go to little Zoe. That's what the Bible says. Train the children when they're young in the ways of the Lord so that when they're old, they won't depart. In her psychology, she's not just learning Barney and Sesame Street. In her psychology, she's hearing the words of her creator. It will transform your mind, people. Let God transform you. Amen. Let's pray before we leave today. We have one of our great astute Bible teachers. He's also a professor at the Bible College. Come see Jared if you have more questions. Would you pray for us all to love God's Word? Lord, your Word is amazing. It, it is wisdom. It's everything we need in life. So I pray, Lord, that you put a hunger in each of us for the word because you said that we would not live on bread alone but on every word that proceeds from your mouth lord your word is sustenance for us we need it we can't go our lives without it lord if we neglect the word if we if we let our bibles collect dust if we let our bible apps go unused lord god we're gonna find ourselves drifting we can't just wait till church every sunday I pray you put a deep hunger in every person here for your word, that they will long for it, that it will be sweet to them, that it will be better than the richest of food, that it will be better than payday for them when you speak your word to them in the Bible, Lord. Speak to us in the scriptures this week as we pray, as we study, as we meditate, memorize, Lord. Speak to us. Speak to our hearts. Apply it to our hearts. Personalize it, Lord, to each of us. Lord, let us have just a lifelong love affair with your word. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you slap your neighbor high five before you go and tell them to read the word? Say, read the word. Amen. God bless you as you go. Come up for prayer because the word tells us to pray. And we're going to sing some songs as you are dismissed. Have a great week. We love you. bless you as you go but if you need prayer come on up we'll pray for you or worship with us let's read God's word this week